Hello, and welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church's podcast. My name is Forrest Divini. I'm the lead pastor at Asbury. Thank you for joining us. We hope this episode will enrich your walk with Christ, increase your knowledge of the Bible, and we hope it's a little bit entertaining as well. Now, this is, of course, our regular podcast episode. I'm going to be talking about the Gospel of Luke, and in particular, one little portion of it in chapter 8. Um, but I want to remind you that we've already released a special episode of the podcast this week, and that is dealing with the subject of human sexuality and gender and marriage. Um, and really, wh- where we start within that is, is what does it mean that we are made in the image of God? Because that little bit in Genesis about us being made in God's image is a foundational piece of our theology, uh, especially when we are working out things relating to sexuality and marriage and gender. And in in the situation that our church finds itself in, and, and with, with all the debate that we're having and, and the questions that are being asked about separation, I know that there are a, I think, a small number of people in our church uh, at least it seems a small number of people who have raised the question with, with me or with others, but there may be more who haven't felt comfortable asking. But there are questions about why the the church has defined marriage as between one man and one woman and, and why, um, why we are opposed to same-sex marriage. Why is this an issue? Um, and folks... If you ask me to, and you may want to, but if you ask me to, I I could give you a list of all the places in the Bible where the sexual morality of God's people is defined in very clear, unambiguous terms. Because it is. The the Bible is unambiguous on the topic of of sexual morality. Um, But... The reason I did that podcast and the reason I spent three weeks before I did that podcast teaching a class on that subject is I want to put those parts of scripture in context for you so you can understand not just what the Bible says, but why it says it and then what that means for us going forward and how we are to apply that in our lives. And and, and I want you to understand as well how it is possible for or Christians to offer grace and truth, to say that, yes, we believe that this particular behavior is morally wrong, and here's how we're going to love you anyway. That's what I want you to understand, and that's that's what I think the importance of that podcast is. So I want to highly encourage you to go and listen to that, um, and, and understand as you do so that what I'm sharing in that podcast is not Pastor Forrest's personal beliefs. Um, it is the teaching of the church. Throughout the last 2,000 years, it is deeply rooted in the gospel, um, is deeply formed by, by other theologians, and, and so it is not a, a new position. And, and as you're doing that, also understand this, because one thing that I think has become clear is that there are still some people who believe um, that in this cultural moment, we need to change. Uh, we need to reassess our position based on what the world around us is doing. Um, and the underlying assumption there is the world was different when those parts of the Bible were written. And that's not true. 
when the, the passages in the Bible that were laying out the sexual morality of God's people were written when they were first preached and first taught, the world was not really different from the way it is today, at least not in terms of the, the sexual morals of the, of the surrounding culture. Uh, and I'll bring that out in the podcast. But understand that, that um, we are not facing a different cultural environment today than Paul was 2,000 years ago. That's just not true. Um, so please, go listen to that. Uh, that. That lays out what the church believes. Not what Asbury believes, not what the Methodist church believes, but what the global universal church believes. This is what 99.99% of Christians alive today and throughout history have believed and taught. It's how they have interpreted the Bible. And the reality is, when billions of people read those texts and come to the same conclusion, odds are they're right. So I'm, that's just my plug. Go and listen to that podcast if you want to understand not just what the Bible says, but why it says it, and and how this works out in the daily life of the church. Ooh, my apologies for that sound. It's my computer deciding to notify me. Okay. Now, with all that said, the rest of this episode is about Luke's gospel. In particular, it's about uh, in Luke chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 4, and it's going to go through verse 18. I'm just going to read it to you real quick, uh, and, and then I'll give you some commentary on it. So starting in verse 4, when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hear Hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. Okay, so let's talk about a couple of things. 
the parable of the sower. Now, there are a couple points we can take away from this parable. If the word of God is the seed, then we can interpret this action as um, the word of God falls on everyone in equal measure. And the effect of God's word on a person's heart, then, is not determined by um, the eloquence of the preacher. It's not determined by the quality of the word itself. It's not determined by whether the word is true or not. It is determined by the heart of the person receiving it. That is what makes the difference. The gospel is true whether the person hearing it likes it or not. The gospel is true whether the preacher giving the sermon is particularly skilled or not. And the one who does... the So, so what matters is, is the quality of the heart hearing the word. If someone's heart is hard, it doesn't matter how great the preacher is. They're going to turn away. When you think about um, a, a, a dirt path, which is what the path would have been in the parable, right? Think about that kind of soil along a dirt path. Uh, and, you know, the, the Israel is a rocky place, okay? It, it, we, you know, we're, we're here in Corpus, and, you know, we have this muddy, clay, sandy soil, depending on what part of town you're in. And, like, the, it can be pretty soft, except when it hasn't rained in a while, and then it hardens up. But, um, but a dirt path in Israel, the dirt would be very shallow and rocky, and you've got this pathway that people have been walking on probably for decades, if not centuries, down the exact same path. That dirt is very compacted. That dirt is probably almost as hard as the rocks around it. The seeds that fall on the path never have a chance. The, the ground is too hard. The soil is too hard. It doesn't make any room for the seed. Some people's hearts are hard and they will not have any room for the gospel. And I would suggest that maybe one of the trickiest parts here is that some of the people whose hearts are hardened to the gospel are already in our churches. It's just that their hearts are closed off to the true gospel. They like bits and pieces of it, but they don't like the whole thing. There are parts of the gospel they don't want to hear, and so their hearts are hardened. And I would suggest we all, all of us, really have a responsibility to, to examine ourselves and think about which parts of the gospel have I hardened myself to. If you are reading through the Gospels and there are passages you don't like that, that make you uncomfortable, you should pay close attention to those. Because that is a place where you are rejecting the Gospel. That is a place where you are hardening your heart. And if you're hearing those words and you're picturing someone else, whose heart you just know is hard. Stop. One of the biggest frustrations that all pastors share is that 
very often when we are preparing a Bible study or a sermon and we have something in particular we're saying just like this, right? Hey, some of you have hardened your hearts to parts of the gospel. Very often we have um, certain people in mind because we know our churches and we know when we're crafting our sermons, we know, okay, so-and-so really needs to hear this. Now, the reality is that that in and of itself is a problem because, of course, there are places where I have hardened my heart to the gospel too. So um, don't hear this as if we're crafting sermons just to call out certain people. It's not true, but but we certainly do think of certain people in our congregations who we think, oh man, I hope they take this to heart. And let me tell you, more often than not, those people are the ones who will come up to us after a sermon or after a Bible study and say something like, Pastor, thank you so much for your message. So-and-so over there really needed to hear that. Happens all the time. I mean, like, literally every time. So please, please, as you think about the idea that sometimes our hearts are hardened to the gospel, sometimes there are parts of the gospel we don't want to hear, that we don't want to let in, don't go thinking about other people who you think need to hear that message. Look at your own heart. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, there are parts of the gospel that you do not accept. I guarantee it. And I am challenging you to really think and pray about that and search out those places where you have hardened your heart to parts of the gospel. then you have these seeds that fall on the rock, right? Um, like I said, the, the soil in many places in Israel is really shallow because you know, if you've ever spent much time in the hill country of Texas, uh, you know, you dig, you can sometimes dig just like less than an inch into the soil and there's the bare rock, right? Um, Israel is very similar. And in fact, as we were, you know, we were there in January, of course, as we were driving through the countryside, you, you saw all these hills. And, and even in like the greenest places, which are in Galilee, which is where Jesus is from, um, that's like the, some of the greenest, most fertile areas. And you look out and you see these beautiful green fields, but they are compl- just speckled with rocks in the middle of the field. It's so incredibly rocky. Um, so there are places, of course, where there's just bare rock. There's places where there's maybe rock with just a little tiny thin covering of soil. And the seed might fall in there and it might look like it's covered in soil and it might sprout up for just a second, but there's no depth. There's nowhere for it to grow. The root can't go down. And to me, this calls to mind images from the Old Testament, from Jeremiah and from the Psalms, um, which paint the righteous as, as being like a mighty oak tree planted by a stream with roots that grow deep, deep into the ground, capable even of splitting rock as they grow and reaching sources of water that are so deep that even in a drought, those trees will thrive. See, we're supposed to have faith like that, faith that is deeply, deeply rooted. When our faith is shallow, when the roots of our faith are shallow, 
We cannot stand in times of trial. Our faith doesn't survive the difficult times. When our faith is shallow, we are blown about by the winds of culture. We aren't rooted. This is one reason why I had you read the entire Bible last year. It's a reason why I'm encouraging you to follow our Bible reading plans this year, which are all, you can, we're doing 90 days through the Gospels now. We'll do, we'll circle back and do nine days through the Gospel of Mark leading up to Easter. And then after that, we'll do Paul's letters for 60 days. We're doing this because immersing ourselves in the scriptures is how we make ourselves deeply rooted. And I want this church to be deeply rooted in the word of God. Because it is so much more steady and so much more true than anything else. And one of the biggest challenges we face is that the word of God stands outside our culture. I see so, so often that people struggle to break free of whatever their cultural ideology is, whatever their political ideology is, and look at the gospel. I've had on, on, there's been two or three different times over the last six months when people have, have asked why the church maintains some of the, the beliefs that it does when the culture has moved on, when the law of the land has moved on, as if those things are relevant. But they're not relevant. They have nothing to do with what we believe. What we believe is based on Scripture, and it stands outside of the world we live in. Now that, of course, is true for a great deal of the, the progressive ideology that, that we see around us. But crucially, it is very true as well of a lot of the conservative ideology. The Bible has strong critiques for the progressive views on sexuality and gender and marriage. Let's be clear about that. A biblical view of sex and marriage does not line up with much of our current cultural beliefs. But let's be equally clear that biblical teaching on things like immigration, race, and social welfare does not line up with much of the conservative ideology. The gospel challenges everybody. It is not conservative or liberal. It is the gospel Someone, a few weeks ago, when I, I stopped by one of our Sunday school classes to talk about uh, what's going on in the church and, and uh, explain my own experiences and my own views, they were shocked. And I mean, just their mind was blown that I am within, within the United Methodist Church, and, and certainly within our conference of the United Methodist Church, that I am considered conservative. They were shocked by it. Um, and rightfully so, because I think if you've been listening to my sermons, you've probably picked up on the fact that I'm, I'm not actually that conservative. I'm, I'm very politically, in, in purely secular, secular political definitions, I'm fairly moderate. 
I happen to have traditional views, biblical views on marriage and sexuality, and that means I get labeled as a conservative. But that's not the label I would choose for myself. The label I would use is orthodox. Because my beliefs and my views are based on scripture first and foremost. And that means that I don't actually fit neatly into either the conservative label or the progressive label. I have views that challenge both in ways that will make a lot of people really angry. But it's the gospel. And it will challenge conservative views just as much as it challenges progressive views. And we need to be deeply rooted in the truth so that we are not claimed by these competing ideologies in our culture. Now, Jesus then has to go and explain the parable to his disciples, and he has this bit where he talks about how he, the reason he teaches in parables is so that um, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, what's that, that seems odd. It really seems as though he's saying he's deliberately hiding the truth in his parables to make it hard to follow, but that's really not what's going on. And, and we know this because right after he explains the parable to them, he, he tells them this bit about lighting a lamp. And says, look, no one after lighting a lamp covers it or puts it under a bed, but they put it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. In other words, what he's saying is, why would I bother to hide the truth? No, no, no. I make the truth as clear as possible. I tell it in parables. So that people have to think about it. He tells it in parables so that his listeners actually have to sit for a minute and work through in their heads and in their hearts and in their minds what Jesus is telling them. Because when you have to actually sit down and think through something like that, you don't just come to understand the meaning on a deeper level. You come to embrace the truth on a deeper level. You see... We have a tendency to want to be spoon-fed. We want to be spoon-fed. We want, just give me the answer. That's what we want. Just, to, just give me the answer. And if you can condense the answer into a little soundbite that takes about two seconds to say, all the better. That's what we want now. That's what people wanted then. Give us the answer. We want to be spoon-fed. Jesus refuses to speak in sound bites. Jesus refuses to spoon feed people. He wants them to have to actually sit and think and pray and ponder the truth and then wonder what that might have to do with their actual personal daily life. So his listeners hearing this parable, he wants them to actually sit and think, okay, well, what does this mean? What do all these different souls mean? And, and and then which kind of soil am I, and how might I become good soil? He wants them to sit and think through that and ponder it. And that means, by the way, he wants us to do the same thing. He wants us to read these passages in the gospel, and maybe then to go back and reread them, and then to really think about them. And, and here's what I've noticed. Most people, most people, now some of you don't do this, but most people don't actually stop to think anymore. Most people 
will read a passage of scripture and then they'll close the Bible, then they'll go about their day as if without, without ever thinking about that passage again. But what, what God wants for us to do is to read these passages and then, and then to sit and think about them for a little while and think, well, what does that mean? What does it mean for me? What what kind of soil am I? Am I am I presenting hard soil that doesn't accept the seed? Am I presenting shallow soil so the seed can't really take root? And what do I need to do to become good soil? When we started off at the beginning of this year with this this ninety day reading plan of the Gospels. One thing I told you is, you know, we're doing essentially a slower, lighter reading plan this year. Because now that you've read the whole book, what I want is for you to go back and read through these things in a way that's more contemplative, that's slower, that, that's more conducive to really pondering God's words and what they mean for you and for your life. And, most importantly, when you are reading more slowly and you're paying closer attention to what the, the text says and you're pondering it, you are creating room for God to speak to you through the scriptures. The truth is not hidden in the Gospels. It's quite plain but it's presented in a way that makes you sit down and think about it because God wants us to actually have to sit with it for a while and think it through and figure out how does this apply to me and to my family and to my church and my community and what then do I need to do in response? So do it. Sit for a while. You can do it with this passage from Luke that we just read. You can do it with whatever you happen to read this morning in Luke, the day you listen to this podcast. I don't know when you all listen. If you are a total rebel and you're doing your own Bible reading plan, do it with that. I mean, whatever part of the Bible you're reading... Don't just read through it as quickly as possible to get it over with. Don't just do it as part of like something to check off on your to-do list. Make space for it. Make time for it. Sit down in a place that is quiet and still. And read it slowly. And if, if there's a particular verse or a particular phrase that really catches your attention and jumps out at you, then once you've read the whole passage, circle back to that part and read that phrase again. And then sit and think about maybe why, why did that phrase grab my attention? What is God trying to communicate to me through the text? And then sit and, and think for a little bit about what that might mean and, and what you might need to do in response and pray over it. And I know, I know we're all busy. I know it. I know some of us have 
have families that make it difficult to, to find a, a quiet, still moment to do all this. Lord knows I that's my case. I've got a toddler at home. Let me tell you something, folks. I wake up at 6 a.m. every day. Every day. Including days I don't have to work. Including days that I'm on vacation. Because if I don't, I won't have that quiet, still moment to sit with the scripture and read it slowly and pay attention to what God is telling me and ponder it. So I wake up early enough that my daughter is still asleep, that my wife is either asleep if it's a weekend or getting ready for work on a weekday, and I can have a moment carved out there with my Bible and a cup of coffee to just briefly sit, read through slowly and prayerfully, and pay attention to what God is saying. And sometimes that means I need to go out on the back porch because my wife's making too much noise as she gets ready for work. But if that's what it takes, that's what I do. If hearing from God is important enough to you, you will make the time for it. We make time for all kinds of things that are less important than this. If you need to make the time for it, make the time for it. But there is nothing more important than carving out daily time to hear from God. And the scriptures are the primary way through which God still speaks to us. And the best way to do that is to not just read the text, but to read it and then think about it and ponder it and pray over it. And I promise you, I promise you, if you start doing that every day, you will notice a difference. You will begin to hear God speaking into your life much more clearly than you ever have before. Now, it may not happen the first time you try it, or the second or the third time. It might take you a few weeks before you get to a point where you can reliably and consistently notice that God is telling you something. But it will happen. And for some of you, it will happen the first time you sit down with, with your Bible to do this. God is always speaking to us. It's just that we usually are not listening. So please, please, take the time to sit, to listen, to read slowly and to think deeply about what you've read. That's all for today, folks. We'll be back next week with another episode still on the Gospel of Luke. Until then, may God bless you.